If we show them at all, most of us who write our secrets down and call it poetry prefer to slip it under the door and run. And if we must be present at the reading, disguise ourselves in soto voice and pale monotone. But here was one who could take us into his personal life and show us around as if it were a house for sale, exposing everything the way it was and never once rushing ahead to straighten up a room or kick the dirty laundry under the bed. How could he do it? And why? It was such private property, and we were total strangers just in off the street, looking, not necessarily there to buy. But then, toward the end, I realized that there was nothing in this place I hadn't seen before. And when I told him this at the door, he took me by the hand and he thanked me for helping him to feel at home. Outside, as we were leaving, I saw where some street philosopher had taken paint and tagged a classic on the wall. There are no strangers here, it read. I know myself, therefore I know you all. So welcome to this hour of worship. My candle is for all of us, and it was written by poet Bob Pfeiffer just after the shootings in Dayton and El Paso. Thoughts and prayers. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? James 2.14 they treat it just like a game, hiding but no seeking our daughter's kindergarten class, crouching behind cabinets in bathrooms, the little spaces between classrooms, beneath upper and lowercase letters, chore words, aspirations, class rules, what empathy means to each of them. They stay as quiet as they can for as long as they can. Teachers never call it what it is, a lockdown drill, they say, a bad man drill, they say. A week after the first one, Layla was jumping on her trampoline when she stopped cold and looked to her mom with a face I'd never seen. What would the bad man want? And in the silence between her parents, our daughter read the whole thing. After some little lie aimed to keep herself for now, she started jumping again a little lower. This morning, like every morning, yellow light blooms from the darkened kitchens where the breakfast tables will always be missing one setting, under bedrooms, unslept in again. And this morning, like every morning, lights come up in the halls of Congress, halls which are again as silent as our daughter, eyes touch tight, palms cupping her ears, the thunderclaps growing near, nearer, holding her tiny breath like a prayer. About his new book, The Hatred of Poetry, Dan Lerner, a poet, states, we expect a lot of poetry. We expect that it will crystallize the familiar and the intimate and make it universal. That it will inspire, move, and delight us. That it will sound true even if we don't really understand it. So when we actually encounter a poet or a poem, it's bound to be a bit of a letdown. He argues the limitations of language mean poems can never live up to the ideals we associate with poetry. I have this sense that the impulse that gives rise to the poem, the thing that moves me to write, is always betrayed by the actual poem I end up with. Basically, you're moved to make a poem because you want to transcend the world as it is, but you always end up with only the materials of this world to work with. You want to make a poem that can transcend history or that can imagine a world where the individual and the social exist in perfect equilibrium. But you don't get that. You get this world, and you get this poem. He continues, 
We're taught from an early age that poetry is an expression of our innermost emotions and identities. When we don't understand a poem, it feels like we don't understand something about the human experience. He concludes with the idea that everybody, by virtue of being human, can write a poem. We have really intense internal feelings, and that's what makes us human. And as to why some of us humans hate poetry, when we encounter a poem from which we feel excluded, like let's say a poem is too hard or too difficult or too weird, we don't just say, oh, that's like weird experimental atonal music. We feel that our very belonging in the human community is a little threatened. I don't know if everybody hates poetry, but a lot of people appear to be ambivalent about it. The service is always very lightly attended. (laughs) In his essay, What is Poetry?, Dan Riffenberg writes, We may feel we know what a thing is, but have trouble defining it. That holds as true for poetry as it does for, say, love or electricity. The American poet Emily Dickinson, though shrinking from offering a definition of poetry, once confided in a letter, If I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that is poetry. A well-known British poet, A.E. Halsman, could identify poetry through a similar response. He said that he had to keep a close watch over his thoughts when he was shaving in the morning, for if a line of poetry strayed into his memory, a shiver raced down his spine and his skin would bristle so that his razor ceased to act. What is this thing that can so physically affect some persons? One poet called a poem a thought caught in the act of dawning. Another said a poem is a means of bringing the wind in the grasses into the house. Yet another stated even more enigmatically, poetry is a pheasant disappearing into the woods. But you can expect poets to talk this way, poetically. Maddie Stepanek was just three years old when he began to compose the poems he called heart songs. His motivation was those really intense internal feelings that Dan Lerner spoke of, coping with the grief of losing his older brother to the same rare disease that would eventually claim his own life only 10 years later. Unlike Emily Dickinson or A. He Hausman, Maddie was pretty clear about what poetry is. Poetry, heart songs, are gifts that reflect each person's unique reason for being. A heart song tells you what you're meant to do to be in life. It's a message in my heart, he said. Most of Maddie's heart songs were about peace, and you'll hear one of his heart songs during our benediction today. But now, we're going to hear the heart songs chosen or written by members of this congregation. And Mark, if you would start for us. A child said, What is the grass? by Walt Whitman. A child said, What is the grass? Fetching it to me with full hands. How could I answer the child? I do not know what is any more than he. I guess it must be a flag of my disposition, out of hopeful green stuff woven. Or I guess is the handkerchief of the Lord, a scented gift and remembrancer designedly dropped bearing the owner's name some way in the corners that we may see or remark and say, whose? Or I guess the grass itself is a child, the produced babe of the vegetation. Or I guess is a uniform hieroglyphic, and it means sprouting alike in broad zones and narrow zones, now growing among black folks as amongst white, Canuck, Tuckahoe, Congressman, Cuff, 
I give them the same, I receive the same. And now it seems to me the beneficial uncut hair of graves. Tenderly, I will use you curling grass. It may be you transpire from the beasts of young, from the breasts of young men. It may be if I had known them, I would have loved them. It may be you are from old people and from women and from offspring taken soon out of their mother's laps. And here you are, the mother's laps. This grass is very dark to be from the white heads of old mothers, darker than the colorless beards of old men, dark to come from under the faint red roofs of mouths. Oh, I perceive, all after all, so many uttering tongues, and I perceive they do not come from the roofs of mouths for nothing. I wish I could translate the hints about the dead young men and women, and the hints about old men and mothers, and the offspring taken soon out of their laps. What do you think has become of young men and old men? What do you think has become of the women and children? They are alive and well somewhere. The smallest sprouts show there really is no death. And if ever it was it led forward life, and it does not wait at the end to arrest it, and ceased the moment life appeared. All goes onward and outward, and nothing collapses. And to die is different from what any one supposed, and luckier. Thank you. Okay, this is um, was written back in the probably mid-80s. Um, I hadn't looked at it for a while. And it talks about the heart which we seem to be talking a lot about today. Um, just a little setup for the where it came from. Um, I was living in infamous Baltimore, where I lived most of my life, and had a house with an apartment. And I had the three children on my own, so we rented an apartment upstairs, and a woman with a son about five. Oops. Okay, he runs to me, this child of four, shoebox in hand, and says, see what I've got? I look inside at furry caterpillars and say, oh, how neat. Are you raising butterflies? Yes, he says, as he puts the box beneath the porch but they must sleep outside. He says bye as he skips away. I watch him go, then come inside. Sometimes it seems so long ago when my three kids were young, but I remember shoeboxes full of caterpillars, rocks, and strings, all sorts of precious little things. I remember hugs and a flower for you, Mommy. Can I go outside and play with Tommy? But as they grew into their teens, all that changed. There were no more hugs or little flowers, only long and painful hours. There were words that hurt, drugs and lies. Their lives were filled with alibis. Bitter memories are left behind. How could life be so unkind? 
They are grown. Things did not go well. But for now, only time will tell. This new child who lives upstairs, he is a treasure for me to touch, but not to keep. He is not mine. It's said that things hurt less with time. I look through the window, he skips gleefully down the drive, and I feel a painful tug inside. Suddenly, I am filled with tears, my thoughts gone back to better years. Now I understand feeling torn apart. I'm looking through the window of my heart. And um, this also brings happy things to mind. It's just a brief aside. Um, my husband uh, grew up in Govins for a lot of his life. And that was near, um, oh, I sat over there and thought of the name of it. I can't think of it now. Um, it's a mansion with flowers in uh, the Govins area. It'll come to me as soon as I sit down. Um, and you could walk through the mansion and see the flowers. Um, but no one was allowed to pick them. Well, I think he was about seven. And at his home, his mother answered the door, and there was a policeman with my husband with a tulip in his hand. And he, had, he, as soon as the door opened, he handed it to his mother and smiled. And the policeman says, he picked a tulip there. He's not allowed to pick flowers. You need to correct him. Well, he told me afterwards that she had all she could do to keep a straight face and say, I certainly will. And as soon as the door closed, she went into hysterical laughter and thanked him for the flower. But she did correct him. So... Well, as many of you know, I have been on a pathway trying to figure out what to do with the last chapter of my life, also known by many as old age. And I want to transcend, transcend the world as it presents old age as the time of falling apart and misery, etc., etc. And I'm tuned to be here now and enjoy every minute. But I've had trouble sharing this message in the congregation. And as we developed the group called Owls, because they did not like the word elder, sage, or senior, the traditional words. So I'll beg their indulgence with this poem, which for me kind of says what I'm trying to do. And it's going to make you young people just most eager to get older and have these benefits. <laughs> it will, it will. It's called Becoming an Elder by Kathy Carmody. Leaving behind my journey of struggling and racing through the white water of many rivers, I become the river, creating my own unique way. Leaving behind my self-imposed role as a tree upon which others have leaned, I now become the wind. With the freedom to blow whenever and wherever I choose. Leaving behind the boxes I've created in my life, 
crammed with roles, responsibilities, rules, and fears. I become the wild, unpredictable space within which flowers sprout and grow. Leaving behind the years of yearning for others to see me as somebody, I soften into becoming my future with permission from self to continually unfold as I choose without concern for how others may see me. Leaving behind years of telling and teaching, I become instead a mirror into which others can peer and view reflections of themselves to consider. Leaving behind the urge to provide answers for others, I become in the silence of this forest, the question. Leaving behind the rigor of my intellect, I become a single candle in the darkness, offering myself as the beacon for others to create their own path. I become an elder. Thank you. Laura? I've got permission to have more than one chapter. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I wrote this poem last year. Um, as a follow-up to my graduate thesis work on um, studying compassionate um, urban planning for unsheltered homelessness. In 2016 and 2017, I spent a lot of time with a, um, an encampment of people experiencing homelessness um, just west of downtown Baltimore, um, if anyone is familiar, um, off of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, um, right near where um, Route 40, the highway to nowhere, comes in. And um, basically, I did an ethnography and documented and spent a lot of time at um, the encampment and befriended the people living there to inform what um, practices for urban planning. What I didn't expect, though, was to find a, a, a new way of faith um, in my life, being with a group of people who every day rely on God to get them enough food or enough money and for their shelter to be intact. And the idea of living in community and the purest form of people living um, together and taking care of each other and each other's needs. Um, so I actually named my project um, Helping the Last, the Least, and the Lost, Compassionate Planning for Baltimore's Unsheltered Homelessness. And, oh, oh, thank you. And um, actually, that, that's an anagram of three um, Bible verses, helping the last, the last will be first, um, and the first will be last, the least. What you do for the least of these, you'll do for, you do for me. And the lost, based off of the um, parable with the, um, the lost sheep and the shepherd go, um, leaving his 99 to get the one sheep. 
Um, so this poem is actually of a scene that um, I saw um, on many, many days while I was out there of a woman in particular named Cricket, who I've grown to love very much. Panhandling on MLK at Saratoga. Sun heavy on crumbling sidewalk, small rising from idling cars. With sweat running around the edge of her sunburnt face, she walks the lane with a weathered cardboard sign and styrofoam cup in hand. Homeless family, any help is a blessing. She shuffles through a labyrinth of cars and exhaust, exhausted. Horns blowing at her, an obstacle, less than human. Hope reviving with a sudden window cracking and a gift of tarnished coins. The cycle repeating again and again. Red light, lanes. Green light, median. Daily earnings, unpredictable. A few dollars crinkled one day, only a few coins the next. She dreams of a day when she doesn't have to begin every conversation with, hi, could you spare some change? Then end with, thank you and God bless. One day she'll have friends and can give to them in return. Allison? Hi, um, this is called Gypsy by Suzanne Vega and I don't uh, have anything really profound to say about it. I've just loved this song for a long time and it just speaks to me. I'm not sure why, which um, I feel like that's true of a lot of poetry. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I think we all have a little bit of gypsy in us. You come from far away with pictures in your eyes Of coffee shops and morning streets and the blue and silent sunrise But night is a cathedral where we recognize the sign We strangers know each other now as part of the whole design Oh, hold me like a baby that will not fall asleep. Curl me up inside you and let me hear you through the heat. Oh, you're the jester of this courtyard with a smile like a girl's. Distracted by the women with the dimples and the curls, by the pretty and the mischievous, by the timid and the blessed, by the blowing skirts of ladies who promise to gather you to their breast. Oh, hold me like a baby that will not fall asleep. Curl me up inside you and let me hear you through the heat. Oh. You have hands of raining water and that earring in your ear. The wisdom on your face denies the number of your years. With the fingers of the potter, 
and the laughing tale of a fool. The arranger of disorder with your strange and simple rules. Yeah, now I've met me another spinner of strange and gauzy threads with a long and slender body and a bump upon the head. Oh, hold me like a baby that will not fall asleep. Curl me up inside you and let me hear you through the heat. Oh, with a long and slender body and the sweetest, softest hands and we'll blow away forever soon and go on to different lands. And please do not ever look for me, but with me you will stay. And you will hear yourself in song blowing by one day. But now hold me like a baby that will not fall asleep. Curl me up inside you and let me hear you through the heat. Oh, 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 oh. Cindy? Hi, I'm Cindy Curry. As some of you may know and some of you may not, Beth Woodroig and I facilitate a journaling group on Thursday evenings from September to May. Last September, unexpectedly, and it happened very organically, turned into John O'Donohue month. Beth started us off with this uh, first poem that I'm going to read by John O'Donohue, who you may know and may not know, is an Irish poet, priest, philosopher, um, and he's also like considered by many to be a poet laureate of Unitarian Universalism. The first piece that best started us off with in September is called For Longing. Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. May you have the courage to listen to the voice of desire that disturbs you when you have settled for something safe. May you have the wisdom to enter generously into your own unease, to discover the new direction your longing wants you to take. May the forms of your belonging in love, creativity, and friendship be equal to the grandeur and the call of your soul. May the one you long for, long for you. May your dreams gradually reveal the destination of your desire. May a secret providence guide your thought and nurture your feeling. May your mind inhabit your life with the sureness with which your body inhabits the world. And may your heart never be haunted by ghost structures of old damage. May you come to accept your longing as divine urgency. And may you know the urgency with which the universe longs for you. He's a beautiful poet, wouldn't you agree? This next piece was actually like the reduction of like the rest of the month. Because in the next week, I introduced a piece called, um, my gosh. I know it's right here, but I had it blocked. <laughs> 
It's called The Subversive Invitation, as Beth was helping me out with, which is a very long piece, and I am not going to read it here because without having it in front of you, it's just way too much in there for you to digest. But, and which is why it turned into like the rest of what we worked with for the entire month of September. And in the end, what we did is we created what we call found poems, where you take a piece of work, it could be a reading or a poem, or it could be several pieces of work, and you extract lines that are meaningful for you, and you reorganize them and move them around and rewrite them in a way that creates a new poem that you have excerpted from the original work. And what I'm sharing with you is my found poem from the subversive invitation. Is your God wild? Does she call, call you to your destiny? Clear out the worn, shabby furniture of thought. You are no longer a prisoner of received images, but an adventurer on the difficult, beautiful path to freedom. Trust the music of your own soul and awaken the hidden, inherited treasure that is yours alone. The only danger of the transformation is to let fear of the unknown quell it. Once you begin to awaken, squandering your essence with tired talk and dead language would keep you from glimpsing the amazing plenitude of being here. Accept this subversive invitation, this gift to yourself. Be midwife to the birth of your own soul. Leave the kingdom of fake surfaces, slip deeper into the role of being true to yourself and become who you are truly called to be. Blessings be. Thank you. This poem was provided by Carol Bindell, and many of you may know that Carol was one of the original participants in our inaugural poetry services. I think she might even be why we're having poetry services. This poem is called Starfish. This is what life does. It lets you walk up to the store to buy breakfast and the paper on a stiff knee. It lets you choose the way you have your eggs, your coffee. Then it sits a fisherman down beside you at the counter who says, last night the channel was full of starfish. And you wonder, is this a message, finally, or just another day? Life lets you take the dog for a walk down to the pond where whole generations of biological processes are boiling beneath the mud. Reeds speak to you of the natural world. They whisper, they sing and herons pass by. Are you old enough to appreciate the moment? Too old? There is movement beneath the water, but it may be nothing. There may be nothing going on. And then life suggests that you remember the years you ran around, the years you developed a shocking lifestyle, advocated careless abandon, owned a chilly heart. Upon reflection, you're genuinely surprised to find how quiet you've become. And then life lets you go home to think about all of this, which you do, for quite a long time. Later, you wake up beside your old love, the one who never had any conditions, the one in who waited you out. This is life's way of letting you know that you are lucky. It won't give you smart or brave, so you'll have to settle for lucky. Because you were born at a good time, because you were able to listen when people spoke to you, because you stopped when you should have and start it again. So life lets you have a sandwich and pie for your late night dessert, pie for the dog as well. And then life sends you back to bed, to dreamland, while outside, 
the starfish drift through the channel with smiles on their starry faces as they head out to deep water to the far and boundless sea. DJ? So this is a poem by John O'Donohue. <laughs> yes, I'm part of the journaling group. But um, I didn't know why I wanted to read this poem. I just, when, when Kim said, well, you have to say a sentence or two about it, and I was like, because it's my birthday. But then I started thinking about it, and I realized uh, something profound about traveling, and I started thinking... Um, about two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be on a 100-foot tall ship um, off of Martha's Vineyard, and it doesn't have a motor, but it's like one of those ships where the men, like when they climb the rigging, they're like way, way, way up there. And um, it was an extraordinary week, and people have said to me, well, where did you go? Where did you sail? And for the majority of the time, we didn't really go anywhere because either the wind wasn't right or for, you know, it was a variety of reasons, but we were traveling. It was a group of 25 people, and we were, didn't know each other, and we played cards, and, and we were traveling. Um, and then I started thinking about being born, and I started thinking, well, I wonder where I was before I got here, because I had to travel to get here. Then I started thinking, well, I don't know, you know, if, if we're souls and come from another dimension, and then where were we before, but we had to travel to get here. So then I started thinking about that. Yeah, we're travel, that kind of travel. And lastly, one of my absolute closest friends in the whole world, who is the kindest, sweetest man who I've loved for 30 years, um, I just found out Friday he has liver cancer. And I started thinking, He's, he's, he's traveling. He's, he's traveling. Um, so enough of me. This is For the Traveler by John O'Donohue. Every time you leave home, another road takes you into a world you were never in. New strangers on other paths await. New places you've never seen will startle you a little at your entry. Old places that you know well. They'll pretend nothing changed. Nothing changed at all since your last visit. When you travel, you find yourself alone in a different way, more attentive now to the self you bring along, your more subtle eye watching you abroad, and how what meets you touches that part of the heart that lies low at home. How you unexpectedly attune to the timber in some voice opening a conversation you want to take in, to where your longing said, dark, to create a crystal of insight. You could not have known that you needed to illuminate your way. When you travel, a new silence goes with you, and if you listen, you will hear what your heart would love to say. A journey can be a sacred thing. Make sure before you go, to take the time to bless your going forth, to free your heart of ballast so that the compass of your soul might direct you toward the territories of spirit. 
where you will discover more of your hidden life and the urgencies that deserve to claim you. May you travel in an awakened way, gathered wisely into your inner ground, that you may not waste the invitations which wait along the way to transform you. May you travel safely, arrive refreshed, and live your time away to its fullest, and return home more enriched and free to balance the gift of days which call you. Our benediction is a poem written by Maddie Stepanek when he was 11 years old, and this poem was written on September the 11th, 2001. We need to stop. Just stop. Stop for a moment before anybody says or does anything that may hurt anyone else. We need to be silent, just silent. Silent for a moment before we forever lose the blessings of songs that grow in our hearts. We need to notice, just notice. Notice for a moment before the future slips away into ashes and dust of humility. Stop, be silent, and notice. In so many ways, we are the same. Our differences are unique treasures. We have, we are, mosaics of gifts to nurture, to offer, to accept. We need to be, just be, for a moment, kind and gentle, innocent and trusting, like children and lambs, never judging or vengeful. And now, let us pray, differently, yet together, before there is no earth, no life, no chance for peace. So may it be. Amen. And blessings be. Brenna. This one is called the High Wire Act. For once, I'd like to walk the high wire without a single mistake. Balancing plates while my head is on fire, taking care with each move that I make. Deliberate timing, no motion is wasted. The end is inside, it's so close I can taste it. A perfect performance, one for the ages. But I keep falling down again. If it's true what they say, that practice makes perfect, then I should be a genius by now. Maybe someday all the pain will be worth it And I'll finish my act with a bow But balance gets harder the higher you go And everyone's taking their seats for the show The more that I learn, the less that I know And I keep falling down again There's nothing to do but dust yourself off and get back on the wire when you fall. 
Grit your teeth, take a step, and hold your head up. Keep your eye on that spot on the wall. Just try to ignore the noise of the crowd and keep moving forward. Don't ever look down. But if you should stumble and fall to the ground, just keep getting up. Keep getting up. Keep getting up again.